2: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, January 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, months after an overwhelming vote, the new Mississippi state flag is finalized by Governor Reeves and raised above the state capitol. Then, vaccination rollout in Mississippi is lagging behind, especially in long-term care settings. Health officials and representatives from major pharmacies explain explain the delays during a hearing with lawmakers. Plus, the state's emergency management director shares his battle with and recovery from COVID-19. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's official. Mississippi has a new state banner. Government leaders gathered yesterday to witness Governor Tate Reeves sign the final certification of the November vote that confirmed the new design featuring a white magnolia. Last summer, as protests over racial injustice amplified the call for change, lawmakers took the first steps toward change by retiring the 1894 emblazoned with the Confederate battle emblem. Speaker of the House Philip Gunn says legislators understood the magnitude of the moment in history.
3: To change their votes from no to yes, I will tell you it was their families. It was knowing that history was going to record what they did, and they did not want their spouses or their children or their grandchildren to be disappointed in them. They wanted their children and grandchildren to be proud of them. The future generations of this state to be proud of what they did. And by their courageous action, they have given future generations the opportunity to write a new chapter in our state's history.
2: Prior to the hoisting of the flag over the Capitol, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman spoke to the inspiration the new flag will bring current and future generations of Mississippians.
1: In a moment, the flag will be raised, and then it will be lowered and returned to the two Mississippi museums just down the street. Over 900,000 Mississippians voted for this new flag to represent the state of Mississippi. It will provide a shade of history and community for our citizens. It will provide nourishment to the roots of our society. It will inspire our children and hopefully generations to come And it will give us a sense of place. We will learn together under this flag. We will work together under this flag. And we will worship together under this emblem.
2: With the flags rippling in yesterday's cold winds, Governor Tate Reeves called it a moment to look forward.
0: Let us recognize that this is a moment for us to come together. For us to recognize that there are going to be differences on issues, but those differences make us stronger, not weaker. And our ability to debate those issues in a public setting is what makes this state and this country a great place. Let us all recognize that the past must be the past, but our path forward is to focus on our future.
2: Nearly 20 years ago, Mississippians were given a vote on an alternative flag, but two-thirds of the state's residents chose to keep the 1894 flag. Ronnie Musgrove was governor then. He tells our Ashley Norwood the new flag is a change long in the making.
4: It's something that a lot of us have wanted for a long time. Uh, We believe that Mississippi needed a flag that reflected everyone, that supported everyone, and that everyone could rally behind and say, this is my flag. This stands for me. It stands for hope. It stands for the future. It stands for who we are. Uh, What we've had in times past was divisive. Uh, It did not stand for everyone. And now I believe this sends a message throughout the country and to the citizens of the state that Mississippi is a place that has a flag that everyone supports. In the early 2000s,
5: voters didn't choose new flag. What do you
4: think changed right now? Uh, it, it was so divisive at the time. Uh, I made the comment, because of how divisive it was, uh, I, I was unsure whether this would happen uh, at this point in time in my life. Uh, I felt like it would happen. Uh, I, I didn't want to be on my deathbed when it did happen. And so as a result, I believe that people watched what has happened across the country. They have seen the injustices that have taken place. They have seen the fact that people have been left out. Uh, They've not been spoken for. They've not been stood up for. And, And to live in a state where the flag does not represent you or who you are is a disappointment. It also holds the state back from moving forward. Whether it be educationally, whether it be economically, in good job offerings, or, or good quality of life, uh, I believe that th- today is a great day for the start of Mississippi. You
5: saw last week at the Capitol there was a Confederate flag during the insurrection. And to know that Mississippi has done away with that, what does that
4: mean? What does that say? Uh, it, it, one of the things it says is we waited way too long that it's not one of those things that should make any of us proud to see that wave. And I believe that's one of the reasons we have changed the flag uh, today.
2: Zakia Summers, a Democrat in the State House of Representatives, says seeing the new flag over the Capitol brings joy after last summer's vote to bring down the old banner.
5: Well, I tell you, it was was a bit emotional because we've gone through so much um, in this state to get that new emblem. Um, I had an opportunity to watch a presentation from a historian that talked about the first black legislators after reconstruction. And to know that I have the opportunity to sit in those seats, many of whom were not even acknowledged as sir. (laughs) And to know that I had the opportunity to press the button that allowed this to happen. And then also just a feeling of joy that um, voters all across the state um, saw that it was time for the state to turn a new page and they went out and voted in a major way. And it's because of the voters really putting a stamp on what we did last session that we're able to celebrate what happened today. So um, I'm just so excited. I'm excited to talk with my children about it this evening. And to know that they know that their mother was a part of that, it's it's quite historical.
2: (laughs) Coming up, health officials and representatives from major pharmacies explain the delays in coronavirus vaccine rollout. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus vaccine rollout in the Magnolia State is lagging. Mississippi currently trails neighboring states for vaccinations in long-term care settings, and lawmakers are searching for ways to speed up this process to protect vulnerable Mississippians. During a hearing with legislators yesterday, Dr. Thomas Dobbs explained some of the reasons for delays with the initial allocations of the vaccine.
0: The challenging parts of it are going to be cold chain and data entry. Um, Although those are things we could work through, but the cold chain piece is going to be one of the more challenging ones. But if we could find a way um, to basically permit the delivery of the doses, most of the nursing homes would be happy to do it themselves, or we could recruit people to do it. Um, Even, and I don't even know, I mean, I I know that, I'm assuming it's a personnel issue. I'm still a little bit unclear about why we're so far behind Alabama and Louisiana. They're four times per capita more vaccinated than Mississippi. There's gotta be a reason for that. And maybe it's just a tiering of prioritization, but you know, we want our folks protected too. And if we need to get the vaccine, I mean, we were under the impression that, and I understand it's taken longer. I mean, we've had some challenges too, but we've also administered, we've distributed um, 40% of the vaccine we've gotten. Um, And we haven't seen that same sort of outlay on the long-term care plan. Um, But anyway, if that's an option that we can work out with CDC, That would be good. And also, I want to talk about the disenrollment piece. I wasn't quite sure how that worked, and I wasn't aware of that until today, although our immunization people Mm -hmm. would be, but we need to make sure we got the vaccine back so that we could immediately redistribute it to our partners, because a lot of our nursing homes are part of hospitals, and to be honest, some of them have been using their hospital allocations to do long-term care residents because they have gotten tired of waiting.
2: Mississippi has seen some success in expanding COVID-19 vaccinations in the public through extending drive-through vaccine site availability and allowing physicians to offer the shots. Health officials say the state has used more than 40 percent of the total allotment of doses in one week, but the state still lags behind others in vaccinating long-term care residents. Those vaccinations are being conducted through a federal partnership with CVS and Walgreens. Both companies' say Day, staffing shortages are causing vaccine rollout to lag behind. Roy Armstrong of Walgreens reiterated those shortages during the hearing.
4: Well, certainly for us, it's just a labor and capacity. We, we had staffing challenges in Mississippi before COVID vaccine was ever available. So in in other states like Texas, where we don't have any staffing issues, so we can move a lot quicker. Uh, but uh, Mississippi has been a challenge for us. Um, uh, long before the COVID vaccine uh, showed up. So it, it conti- continued to be a challenge. But uh, so it just, that's the reason we're lagging behind in Mississippi than in other states in, in my region, which is the Gulf Coast region. It's just a staffing issue.
2: Democratic Senator Hob Bryan chairs the Public Health and Welfare Committee. He says he wants to find a solution that bridges the gap between the staff shortages in the major pharmacies and the unused vaccines.
3: And what I'm thinking is if there are nursing homes that are going to get, get the vaccination within a week, fine. But if there nursing home scheduled for two weeks out... That's a group of people that could, if I'm saying this right, be disenrolled and then get vaccinated in, in some other way. But I, I, I just, I'm, I'm apoplectic because if there were a shortage of, if we didn't have a vaccine, that I understand that. If there's a shortage of vaccine, if it can't be produced fast enough, I understand that. But my understanding of where we are is we actually have enough vaccine available to vaccinate everybody in Mississippi in a long-term care facility. But we can't get the right vaccinators to do the vaccination, so we've got this long delay. There are on the ground all manner of people who know how to give shots, who can learn the protocol and give it so there is some bureaucratic, some contractual, some rule that's keeping the vaccine and the vaccinators from getting together with the people with arms, and that's that's what I don't understand. CVS
2: and Walgreens representatives say if they're able to hire more pharmaceutical staff, the vaccine schedule may be accelerated. Coming up, the state's emergency management director shares his battle with and recovery from COVID-19. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker.
2: We are how you could drive in theater. We're the last operating drive-in in in the state of Mississippi. Join
1: me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker.
5: Freak me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside
1: you can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app mile marker a mississippi roads podcast
2: this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio i'm karen brown as the man on the right flank of governor tate reeves during dozens of press conferences throughout the coronavirus pandemic Colonel Greg Michelle was immersed in the state's mitigation efforts. The director of the state's emergency management agency, Michelle coordinated the delivery of PPE to hospital facilities and county health leaders and managed preparations for emergency overflow hospitals in places like Camp Shelby. But during the pandemic's largest surge, not even Michelle was spared from the virus. Now he shares his personal COVID-19 story.
1: I tested because I had symptoms, and I will tell you that, you know, throughout the course of this, this event, there have been a number of times where, just as a matter of caution, I would uh, call ahead and get a, get a test set up for me. Mr. Department of Health has been very responsive and very supportive you know, for, for our needs, and specifically me. So, on December the 9th, uh, I had I started, I had a raspy cough, uh, and my throat was a little scratchy, nothing major. Um coming into work the, the morning of December the 9th I started getting chills so um I felt like I needed to as a precaution to make sure to expose anybody I went in had to test that morning so I went straight in had the test and um and I tested very quickly on the rapid test I tested hot um or tested positive for COVID and they did a PCR test just to confirm and of course I did test test positive uh my symptoms were much like most people you know um just uh, basically like colon flu, um, and I will be honest, I felt like that I would, uh, you know, I would get through it like most people did, three to five days, run some fever, do my 10 days quarantine, I'd be back at work. So, so I tested out of just precaution. I had some symptoms that kind of married up with COVID. I did not know that I had been exposed or anything like that.
2: Do you know at this point how you might
1: have been exposed? I, no, I have racked, my brain a thousand times, and I I, I cannot tell you because I, you know, the the days the three to four days backing up from you know from my symptoms starting, uh, I started thinking, all right, well, where have I been? What have I done? And, and I you know my protocol wearing a mask, I have been very disciplined with that, um, you know, maintaining you know my social distancing. So I, I don't know, I have no idea uh, where where I got it, which is very strange, and 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 and, and kind of how you know. That's why this this virus and people being very uh, particular about where they are, who they're around, and their social distancing really does make a difference. Did you have the
2: fatigue that many people complain of right from the beginning?
1: Um, you know, from the beginning, no. Um, but you know, my as my viral infection got worse, uh, which is the which is the you know which is the piece that I had not anticipated. Uh, I did get very weak, and I had found that on the back end of the recovery piece. Um that has been the biggest piece of my recovery is getting my strength back
2: so from uh, the ninth were you getting worse day to day, or did you have good days, bad days?
1: No, I progressively got worse so for for that ten days so from the ninth to the to the ninth tenth when i when I was hospitalized i I had continual fever, and that was the you know that was one of the worst pieces about this is my fever. My fever did not break; it got worse, and and then of course I started getting a heavy feeling in my lungs, which you know I was in constant communication with my with my with my doctor about my breathing and about it you know progressively getting getting harder. I had two chest X-rays during that ten days prior to going into the hospital um, that came back allegedly clear but, um, you know, I think that there was uh, some things that may have been missed, particularly on that last chest x-ray, because by the time I got into the hospital, my COVID had progressed to double COVID pneumonia, so I ended up having, by the time I got into the hospital, um, I had COVID pneumonia in both of my lungs, which was very surprising, given that I had been given a clear, you know, a clear chest x-ray on Friday. Now, it could have progressed that quickly. I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but the pneumonia is what really put me in, put me on my knees.
2: When you say you had difficulty breathing, were you gasping for air or every, taking every breath was difficult? Can you describe that for us?
1: Yeah, the, the pneumonia was a different experience for me because I've never had pneumonia um, uh, ever, you know. And uh, so, you know, I'm 51 years old. So the pneumonia in and of itself, aside from COVID, was a new experience. So the breathing, um, it got very hard to get a deep breath and it was painful to breathe. So, and that was, you know, I now know that was the pneumonia setting in, uh, into my lungs causing, causing that, you know, what sent me to the emergency room was, um, was the, the, that Sunday morning that I woke up, I I could not get a breath and I was, I was really getting very, you know, very concerned about, uh, you know, about fainting and passing out. So, I mean, that's what prompted me to go to the emergency room and, um, it would just to answer your question, though it was just I, I just could not get it. You, you don't really you take you take a, you take air you take oxygen you take a breath of fresh air for granted until you can't get it. So um, that was uh, that was a very very humbling experience for me.
2: When you were admitted to the hospital, what kind of treatment did you receive?
1: Um, I was treated with um, um, with uh, remdesivir and uh, and a number of other um, intravenous. Antibiotics, um, and oh by the way, let me just say that the folks um, at uh, Southwest Mississippi Regional Medical Center in Macomb did a phenomenal job of their care. They just absolutely took wonderful care of me. But but they treated me the day that I went in. Literally within two hours, they were they were uh, treating me with antibiotics. Uh, and by early afternoon, I had my first uh, bag of remdesivir.
2: How long were you in the hospital? Four days. You got home in time for Christmas.
1: Uh, I did get home in time for Christmas, for for a quiet Christmas, and it was uh, it was it was a great Christmas because I was at home.
2: You were in the hospital until the twenty third, and right. here we are in early January. But I mean, every day you gain a little bit better.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Every day, every day I'm I'm getting stronger. Like I say, and 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 speaking with. Some of my other, uh, um, you know, people that I know that 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 have had COVID recently, um, you know, they've experienced some of the, you know, some of the same things as far as, the, you know, getting their stamina, and getting their breath back, um, and that has been, that has been the only piece as far as how I feel. I feel fine. I feel, I feel healthy. I feel good. Um, it is just I still get a little winded when I, with physical activity, but that is improving. Like I say, that improves every day. And uh, the doctors have told me that. It, that the slower that I take the the recovery process, the better it's going to be, and and they've been you know they've been spot on with everything that they've told me. So uh, I'm trying to take it slow, and um, um, like I say, every day is a better day.
2: Having gone through what you've been through, and I'm sorry that you had to. Do you have any advice for our listeners, or things you want them to hear, either in prevention or dealing with this at home before being yeah. hospitalized, so you don't have to be hospitalized, maybe?
1: Well, if I can, the first thing I would like to say is i i just i just absolutely was just overwhelmed with the level of support not only from my family and my friends and people that know me but from the people across the state that that I don't even know that that offered up words of support. The experience overall was was very humbling because when you you know when you have the job that I have and and sit at the table with some of the folks that I do and work with every day and run and do the things you do, you know you pretty much kind of you still feel bulletproof. Um, this was a very humbling experience for me. Um, I would just tell people that we're, you know, we still got a ways to go with COVID. Um, clearly, it does not matter the shape or condition you're in. I would have told you if you'd have told me that if I had gotten COVID, it, well, I would have been affected like this. I'd have said, no way. Um, I'm in pretty good shape. I try to take care of myself and and uh, and do right and, and and maintain a level of fitness. Took me to my knees. So it doesn't really matter the condition that you're in. Uh, COVID is going to affect you. It can affect you very differently than someone else. I just think that people, uh, need to continue to be, be careful, uh, avoid large gatherings. That's the biggest thing. Make sure you're keeping your hands and your phones and everything that gets close to your face clean. And, uh, and, uh, let's get vaccinated and let's, let's try to get past this.
2: Greg, Michelle heads up the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Colonel Michelle, we are so happy that you're feeling better, and we wish you continued good health. And thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Karen, for the invitation. I appreciate you.
2: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio.